This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, September 22, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. How does the meeting between Vladimir Putin and Kim Jong-un change the war in Ukraine? Cato's Eric Gomez discusses what took place and the dynamics at work well beyond the battlefield. Eric, I am somewhat at a loss to understand even the basic social mechanics of two uh, leaders, some might say dictators, meeting with one another, talking about weapons transfers for to help one side out with an ongoing war. Can you give me a better picture of what a, a, any meeting like that might be like? Well, it would probably, it would look a lot like the Kim Putin meeting that happened in Russia's Far East recently. It's interesting when you have, like you said, those political systems meeting, right? Because in both systems, these are kind of the guy who can get things done. And when the top guy goes and meets with another top guy, people pay attention. Uh, and I think that what this shows for the Russian side is how isolated they've become since starting the war in Ukraine. Uh, because Putin hasn't really met with too many other top people at all since last February. And for Kim, Kim also hasn't really met with many other top people at, at all uh, in, in a while because of the COVID pandemic and his effort to kind of isolate the country and and prevent COVID from spreading there. It's odd to think that uh, somebody like Vladimir Putin in Russia would have to go I'm not maybe not hat in hand, but have to go to North Korea to seek a particular kind of wealth to uh, continue to operate his war. Can you give me a sense of what North Korea has in terms of uh, conventional weaponry that will assist Russia in their effort? Yeah, they have a lot of mass. So the North Koreans have a lot of artillery. They have a lot of rockets and ammunition for both. And from what we've seen from press reporting, it sounds like this has been the primary export of the North Koreans to the Russians so far. Lots of shells, lots of rockets. Putin can build that stuff at home, but if you have a whole bunch that is just kind of sitting around uh, and you can use it to curry some favor, then go for it. Um, so that's what that's what the Russians are getting from the North Koreans. What the North Koreans might get from the Russians is a little unclear, but from some things that were said at these meetings, uh, it sounds like the North Koreans could expect to get some Russian help with some higher tech stuff, things like satellite launchers, things like satellites themselves, um, unmanned vehicles, and potentially aircraft. Um, not sure on the aircraft, but they just sort of toured some some air bases and looked at some planes. They didn't announce anything. Not much specific was announced at any of all this, but based off of what they saw and how they talked, it sounds like the Russians get a whole bunch of relatively cheap but readily available ammo, and the North Koreans might get some aircraft, definitely some unmanned systems, some more higher-tech stuff that even if Russian high-tech stuff isn't the best on the planet, it beats whatever the North Koreans have uh, available to them. 
So what are the battlefield and strategic implications of these two countries working more closely together on uh, military matters? I think the biggest battlefield implication comes on the Korean Peninsula rather than in Ukraine. Um, and I think on that front, on the North Korean front, if they get better air forces in particular, I don't necessarily, I don't know if I would characterize that as a major problem for the United States and South Korea, but that's like the big area where North Korea has lagged, right? They have lots of artillery, pretty good ground forces in terms of just sheer size, but they haven't, they don't really have much of an air force to speak of. They have some, but it's not very good. It's very old, very outdated. So if the Russians start providing that type of equipment, that could be significant to the, to the Korean balance. I hadn't even considered the implications for the South, um, that, uh, whatever exchange takes place between Russia and North Korea could have some significant negative implications for South Korea. Um, yeah. So the U S and South Korea have uh, talked about consequences um, mm -hmm. of, of this meeting of these kinds of uh, transfers. What, what leverage does the U I mean, what leverage does the U S have and what leverage does South Korea have? I think the U S actually has a lot less it can play with in part because I, I think the United States has kind of exhausted our ability to, isolate or punish North Korea beyond doing direct military action against it. And I don't think we're going to do that because they have nukes and <laughs> that would be a bad idea. On the other hand, though, for South Korea, this is where things could get more interesting. And I think this is where some of the longer term strategic implications might come into play. Number one, I think this definitely, I mean, South Korea and the U.S. were already moving sort of closer and taking steps to do things in the alliance that they previously hadn't before this happened. I think that accelerates, um, especially if it comes out that Russia provides aid to the North Korean nuclear program. That would be very uh, interesting for U.S. nuclear commitments to the South and how the South might ask for those to change or be adjusted. But it's it's I don't know if they're going to do that. The other interesting thing is, what does this do to South Korean aid to Ukraine? Because up to now, I think the South Koreans have given some sort of relatively limited help. But if you're, <laughs> if the North Koreans are sending weapons to the front line and getting better weapons in return, then South Korea could certainly ask the United States to give them, for us to give them better things as a sort of tit for tat measure. The South also has a lot of pretty good long range weapon systems that they make would they sell those to the ukrainians uh, as a as a sort of retaliation um or an evening of the of the playing field and then you know I, I think we're grappling with this in ukraine right now of previous us and allied statements of oh well we won't sell them the weapons that can, they can use to reach into russia because we were worried about escalation say a year ago at this time um, that's sort of slowly coming down and the, and the ranges of weapons are going up incrementally. And so far the Russians haven't like done anything crazy to retaliate for that, but it's, it's a sort of unknown question of, will they always not do that? <laughs> or, or is there some sort of line that only they know 
um, that that could get crossed. So I am I'm very curious about that sort of longer term strategic implication of do does the South Koreans do the South Koreans get more involved with sending weapons to Ukraine now that North Korea and Russia are getting more involved in sending weapons to each other. Eric Gomez is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please. And thank you for listening.